One of the largest companies that I know personally that helps brands sell on Amazon is eTales. Today, I have a guest who is the chief operating officer at eTales. His name is Mitchell Bailey. And in our interview today, we talk about how when they first started out and they're just a small group of people around a coffee table, and now they're a rather large behemoth in the e-commerce world today. We also have a special announcement about uh, a new brand name for eTales. I'll let Mitchell reveal that on our podcast today. And uh, I'm really excited. Thanks for watching and listening to the My Amazon Guy podcast. This is the My Amazon Guy podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pope, founder of the agency My Amazon Guy. Tune in each week to learn how to grow your Amazon sales. All right, welcome to the show, Mitchell. Thanks for coming on the My Amazon Guy podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, super excited to talk to you today. So you have been with Etels a long time and have a lot of history. I, I would love for you to first just talk to me about where Etels has been as a company. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I have been with the, with the organization for close to 10 years now. I joined in early 2011 um, and when we were kind of just all around one small little conference table trying to figure out what we wanted this company to look like. Um, that actually, scale difference is really big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're now in a facility here that's about 60,000 square feet. So we've got a lot of those little tables around the office, which is, uh, which is fun to kind of reflect on. What, what, what's like the biggest difference you'd say from going from like one coffee table to 60,000 square feet? <clears throat> well, really, like we, we fight like uh, we fight really hard to keep that sort of startup entrepreneurial environment um, across the scope of business that we have now. So um, we still have an open floor plan. We still it's it's fully open concept. Well, no, I keep looking back here, but no one's in the office right now. But um, that that was kind of a part of our DNA and um, really kind of drove the 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 focus and inheritance on on innovation. So. Um, we really try hard to, to strive to keep that entrepreneurial mindset across the whole organization um, and, and really just kind of uh, agility and speed to make decisions and speed to change. Because as you know, this environment that we participate in is constantly evolving. And if we're not innovating, then we're you know, falling behind. So um, we want to avoid any of that red, red tape that comes when, you know, you're, when you're growing a company. So for those that don't know, what, what is eTales? So yeah, good question. So today eTales, um, we have a simple mission. We want to be a brand's ultimate online growth, growth partner um, and help support scale and optimization on today's leading marketplaces. Um, today's leading marketplace is Amazon. So that takes a lion's share of our focus. Um, so really we want to be a one-stop shop for all things marketplace to help support a brand um, grow and optimize their business on those channels. And so I understand that you guys uh, just announced yesterday, you're going to be changing your brand name. So what's, what's the new brand name and what are you planning on doing? Yeah, so we will be, um, we just launched this and uh, our new brand name is called Caspian, Caspian with a K. Um, and it is tied back to um, the Caspian Sea. Um, Caspian Sea is one of the largest uh, bodies of water uh, inland bodies of water in the world. Um, and we've always had kind of a nautical theme around our organization. And like I mentioned before, um, uh, we're in an evolving kind of evolutionary uh, segment, this market that we participate in. And um, I, I really like that kind of story behind this, this water and, and movement and 
um, fluidity behind our business. So um, it's, it's large in part as well because we are our parent organization. We've actually brought that, uh, which, is, which had been New York based, where we brought that into um, headquartered here in Spokane, Washington. Um, and it's now, you know, only the, the e-tails now Caspian segment. Um, we're the only line of business for our parent organization. So we're rolling that uh, up into the Caspian name. So with you having such a, uh, a close proximity to Amazon, talk to me a little bit about some of those influences potentially. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we do work very closely with Amazon. We, uh, back before coronavirus, we would go over there about quarterly and we'd have a, a what we called a QBR with, with some of our, you know, uh, relationships that we have over on, on the Amazon side, which, um, which is really helpful for us. I, in, you know, in, in some ways, Amazon is our, one of our largest competitors, but they're also our largest partner, if you will. Um, so uh, for us, it's important that we maintain a really strong working relationship with, with Amazon. So um, we can, you know, in some case, in some ways, be try to be one step ahead or, um, you know, not falling behind. Um, so yeah, this, the, our proximity to the Seattle area is, it helps with that to a degree. Um, and they, and it's been, it's been great to see the relationship foster with that group where, um, we're working with them on, you know, beta programs and, and they're, they're getting our input on, on, on some of the things that they're, they're thinking about in terms of how, how would this affect large sellers or large service providers. So, um, uh, that's been always, you know, really interesting to be involved in some of those conversations. I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that are listening to the podcast would love to understand even more background on like what it takes to take a small team like you started with and scale it to the point of no return, right? Like I I actually coined the phrase scale of no return in one of my podcasts a few weeks ago. And, And in my own organization, we're at the scale of no return. Like you can't run your organization the same way you do today that you did 10 years ago. Um, just because there's so much more involved, way more on the line and the scale is just gigantic. So like what, what do you think was the first success that you had on the board that made Etel's like name on the map kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, like most things in life, um, timing is everything. And I think we, we had, a we, we, we got involved in this market space, um, at the right time. And, we, we made a couple of good decisions early on, one of which was we were going to uh, expression that we hold near and dear to our hearts is um, don't outsource uh, a core competency. And we wanted our technology and our, our, our infrastructure to be a core competency um, and a part of our value proposition. So rather than, um, you know, going out and finding solutions, technology solutions, or software applications to help manage our business, we developed those internally. Um, and that really afforded us and gave us the opportunity to scale. And we, we had to do that very early because, you know, we, we kind of entered into this market and it was, you know, we were all hands on deck and onboarding, you know, dozens of, of brand new brands and partners um, a week and really just kind of off to the races. So um, we, we kind of got to the point where, we can either throw a bunch of bodies at this and, and try to scale that way or get a little bit smarter and, and scale pretty efficiently. And, and that's when we really invested pretty heavily, uh, both from a time and a capital standpoint in our platform or our technology solutions. So what, what's been built into the tech? Like what, is it, what does it do that made it your core competency? Yeah, so 
um, a lot of it is, is around our supply chain management and um, advertising management. So we have in, in what, I, what I think one of our largest um, and most you know, kind of pertinent um, back office solutions is the supply chain software that's really automating and managing our inventory management. And it's, we're able to be very effective in that given its um, uh, precision on demand forecasting. So, um, you know, with anything where any business that's, you know, inventory based, it's, it's highly capital intensive. Um, and as you know, this marketplace space is not a sexy margin business. So, you know, any dollar that goes out the door or left on the table is, is really lost opportunity. So um, one key metric for us is really driving um, healthy inventory turns and our ability to do that really is driven by this supply chain management tool. So um, it, it handles all of our forecasting, all of our reorders, all of our um, pricing. So it has, it's, it's really um, algorithmically driving a lot of those kind of um, uh, uh, out, the, driving those outputs to really um, optimize sell-through and margin on the platform. We, we could go into some detail on this question. So, so the inventory management that you talk about is a hot topic this year for a variety of reasons, right? So like, obviously, there's been more disruption to supply chain this year than there has been, and who knows how long. Um, I, I think that the concept of just-in-time supply chain is totally dead. Right. Like I, I, I've been telling my clients at my Amazon guy, like go have a year supply of stock on hand right now. Cause like, you don't know, like you don't know what's coming at all. So on top of that, most of the tech and infrastructure that's provided by third-party Amazon tools and Amazon themselves is lacking in a, in a very key way. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit why I feel that way. And then I'll ask you about it. So when you send something into Amazon, it goes through that check-in process, right? And let's say we're just sending a regular UPS case to make the discussion easy. And so it gets scanned at UPS, they scan at every destination, and then it finally gets delivered at Amazon's facility in their FBA facility. But there's a metric called inbound quantity. And there's, there's this weird quagmire location when you send it, versus when it checks in and when it's finally live, it actually just flat out disappears. <laughs> like, like you have no vision on what's going on and it, and it could disappear for like seven days. So there'll be a nice goose egg on, on the inbound and there won't be anything that's uh, actually there and available for sale. So uh, obviously I'm asking this on the fly. So I don't, I don't know how much knowledge you have on a detail like that. But um, when you talk about making sure that you solve for inventory management, how do you, how do you, how do you do that successfully, I guess? And, and if you know about that conundrum I just talked about, feel free to weigh in on that. Yeah. So um, uh, I don't know what, like for what you just mentioned, that quagmire state, I don't know what our average is, but what I do know is we have such a massive population of data and so many observations of times that we've shipped that those one individual units or boxes into FBA um, that, run some, like the, run some averages or something. Yeah. Well, in, in our model, like the, the, the supply chain modeling, the algorithm that drives it, it factors those in. So for every one of our partners or every one of our um, products, we know on average how long it takes for it to ship from origination through any throughput facility that it has to go to or getting once it hits Amazon's doors and then the average time for that specific item, how long it takes to actually get checked in received and then active. So the model f factors all of those individual variables 
into, you know, the quote unquote lead time for that product to arrive. That, that makes sense. I always tell my clients, keep a 60 day supply at Amazon. You guys could probably do better than a, you could probably go way shorter because you've got all the tech, I assume. Um, but, but, but the reason I've always stated that is because let's say it takes Amazon 30 days to check something in. Well, if you send less than a 30 day supply on that shipment, you're like bound to stock out. You've got out. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so you guys solve for, um, really healthy margins. Not only are you, um, any inventory you're storing at Amazon, you've got less time of it sitting somewhere as well as your own warehouses, because you're, 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 you're factoring in all those averages and planning around that. It sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Our ultimate goal is to minimize the touch points from product source to the end consumer. So if we don't have to touch the product ourselves, that's, that's preferred. Um, so, uh, and we're optimizing for that. And, and so, uh, Caspian's a publicly traded company. So, uh, we, you know, there's some things we can and can't talk about, uh, in the podcast. Um, but if you could give me some sense of like number of products that you guys look at, is, is that something you can speak to at all? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, a lot of that stuff is, is public. So, um, we actually operate the, and, and we're talking, uh, primarily about our retail segment here. Um, we, we also operate, you know, an agent, a subscription division, which is we're licensing our software or kind of consultancy service in that side. But for the, for the, for this part of the conversation, um, we'll kind of double click on the retail business. Sure. Um, so we kind of segment that into two areas and, and the first half is our FBA business or inventory that we take a principal position in. The second half is we, oper- we operate a dropship model where we're brokering transactions between our partners and the end consumer and we're not, we don't take a principal position. So when we look at our catalog size, we're kind of segmenting it in that way. Um, today, our, our, um, our FBA business, um, we we're working with about 800, 800 to 900 brands. Um, and, uh, our dropship business is about, um, you know, 50,000, we've got a 50,000, you know, SKU catalog that, you know, is, is constantly churning. That's a lot of product. And so you have to really be a master of data to, to move all of those pieces correctly and make a profit on it. Right. Like, uh, so what kind of, what kind of challenges have you guys had to overcome, to scale in all of these different areas? Well, a lot this year. <laughs> as, as <laughs> I imagine. You, yeah, as, as you mentioned, just the, the immense pressure that, we, that was felt essentially overnight on the supply chain um, was pretty incredible. So for us, it's been, we've just been, you know, relentlessly focused on working as closely as we can with our brand partners to ensure that we are minimizing gaps as much as we can. So, um, and a lot of that is kind of going against standard operating procedures, if you will. Um, but kind of like you mentioned, that kind of all is out the window right now. Um, so it's, it's really kind of in, you know, risk mitigation mode in a lot of ways and, and trying to get creative with, with our brand partners to ensure that this channel is well represented. Cause I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, um, if I'm a brand owner, I'm going to want to make sure that my Amazon channel is of highest priority because it's getting the most visibility of consumers. Um, so that's been a challenge for us as of late. And, and uh, talk to me about people. So culture and people is, is close to my heart um, because uh, we have so much investment to do into people to get a company to grow. Right. So like what, what would you say your successes or challenges have been on growing the organization as, as you've scaled up? 
Yeah, yeah. So culture is very important to us as well. And I kind of talked about this at the beginning a little bit in regards to how is how have we shifted from being, you know, a bootstrap startup to, you know, now the, the company that we are today. Um, and a lot of it is is trying to retain a lot of that culture that we had in the early days. Um, but what's very, very important to us is um, we have seven leadership principles or values that we, you know, try to embody across the entire organization. Um, they're posted on our website, you know, the first being partner obsession. Um, we want to be extremely partner obsessed. If we're focusing on our, on our partners, then, you know, that's going to, that's going to be a competitive advantage for us. Um, so really it's living and breathing these values that we have and that we've committed to across the organization. And, and it's how we measure um, individuals, you know, performance and, and contribution. Um, and then as we talk about growth and um, kind of career opportunities for people and, you know, giving them the supporting resources to grow with the company, we're tying them back to these values that we have. So how is, how are these things going to make you, you know, be more partner obsessed? How is this going to influence you to be more of an owner across the organization? Um, so really it's making these front and center and, and making sure that we're distilling them down into actions and not just words on a paper. Um, so, so taking a, a step away from like the, the corporate culture for a moment, and then I want to talk about, how we compete with Amazon. But if we, but if, you know, just to get to know you personally, Mitchell, like what, uh, what do you do for fun outside of work? Uh, and what, what kind of motivates you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, first and foremost, um, family man. So we, I have a three-year-old daughter and another one on the way actually do here in five weeks. So, um, really it could be. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It could be any time. Um, so the more, yeah, that's, that's really what gives me the most life is being, being able to, um, you know, spend time with the family and do that, but also blessed to be here in the Pacific Northwest. I love being outside, anything, anything outdoors. Um, and you know, the region up here in Spokane, we really actually get to, um, live out all four seasons. So summers are great. Winters are, winters are white. And, uh, you know, so anytime I can be outside and, and just in enjoying the, the area up here is, that's really great for us. I grew up in Utah, so best snow on earth or so we claim. Um, <laughs> do, do, do they ski up in Washington? I actually don't know this. Yeah, yeah, actually a lot. There's some great resorts up here. Um, Spokane, we're actually right on the Idaho border. We're very close to it. So um, there's several really great uh, resorts up in, up in northern Idaho. Um, so we're pretty spoiled. I, I bet. Um, so that, that sounds like a, a, a playground outside for sure. All right. So last segment of the pod today, um, everybody, you know, notices that Amazon is half the economy, right? I mean, everything is seemingly run by the big guy, Jeff Bezos. So uh, there's a few platforms that are in the news frequently as, as up and comers that can go head to head with Amazon. So um, we frequently hear Walmart and Shopify and a new one this year has been quite frankly, oddly enough, Etsy. Um, and so, uh, I'm sure you would have an opinion on how your platform can help, uh, also make, uh, make the market a little bit more competitive and not Amazon being half the economy, but maybe you guys take a segment of that uh, as well. What, uh, what would you say, uh, any of these platforms need to do you guys included to compete with Amazon directly? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I, there's another one that I'd add, add to that list too, which is top of mind for us. Target, I think, is a mover and shaker, um, or at least has an opportunity to be a mover and shaker here in, in this sector as well. And um, I think what they're doing with Target Plus, I think we'll see how that kind of goes for them. But um, my, my wife loves picking up from Target. 
and it's, she thinks it's way better than Walmart, right? Like with Target, it's way easier and the, the app involvement and the checkout process. So they clearly have way more tech skills than Walmart. I mean, like Walmart bought Jet and then did nothing with it, <laughs> like just yep. floundered it. They're coming out with their own fulfilled by Walmart program, but I know nothing about it because there's no insight there and they keep delaying it. So who knows if like the liver is going to like, Hey, take it over. I, I have no idea, but um, okay. So, so you, you would add target to that list. I think that's a, a good insight. Um, so, so is it because of their tech or why would, why do you think target should be on that list? I think, I think they're similar to Amazon where they are so relentlessly focused on their, on their customer. Um, and I think what they're doing with the, with the red card and the, in the membership there, um, I just, and my wife, similarly, she, you know, targets her, her destination of choice. So, um, I just see that. And, and I see also, you know, they're growing in terms of their sh- overall share of the e-commerce marketplace or the e-commerce market share. Um, uh, and they're, they're a top 10 player now in terms of, uh, total e-commerce market share. So then they hadn't been on the list before. So I know they're kind of moving up the ranks, but Walmart. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they obviously have the capital behind them that they could, they could go head to head with Amazon. I think they, I think they're trying, I think they, they, they just need to get a little bit more surgical with their priorities. Um, we've noticed very similar things that you called out with the, the jet acquisition and, and some of the things that they kind of promoted that were going to happen with that. And, those didn't materialize. Um, we are Etails um, now Caspian. We are a user of the WFS program, Walmart Fulfillment Services. Um, so there's we see the kinks that are kind of happening with that, but um, it's getting better. So yeah, I think that I think that for us, we want to make sure that we're continuing to provide a value added service for brands and put their products where they want them to be. And, and Walmart is one of them. And because it, it could be, you know, a strategic positioning for them that, you know, if tomorrow Walmart starts to capture more market share, they're ahead of the curve there. So any insight you can share on the, the Walmart fulfillment side, I think would be interesting. Um, you know, you, you can choose to talk about the kinks or not, but like, what, what do you generally observe from that program? And, and, and obviously it's five years behind fulfilled by Amazon, but uh, yeah. what, what insight can you share there? You know, I personally don't know a whole lot of the fine tooth, fine tooth no details worries. on that, but, um, but you know, I, I do know that it's something that previously um, they, they had a pl- they had a program in place. Walmart did that we're going to have other 3PL providers in a network that were, so it was going to be an outsourced model. Whereas now, you know, they've, they've determined to kind of bring it in house and, and, and have their own fulfillment services rather than be reliant upon others. Got it. Okay. So last question for you today. Um, so for anybody in e-commerce, this is a very, very general question. If you were trying to uh, grow sales in e-commerce, there's a lot of core things you can do, whether it's selling on Amazon, selling on your own site or whatever. What kind of advice would you give to somebody to say, hey, here's what you should do to go grow your sales? Yeah, great question. Um, So for me uh, and for what we promote here is a lot of it is about consistency and, uh, you know, wanting to have your brand look, feel, and have that level of consistency regardless of where shoppers are, are engaging with your brand. Um, so that if that's Walmart, if that's Amazon, if that's Target, um, having consistency behind, you know, pricing, messaging, uh, imagery, the, the content behind it, 
um, it's very important to have that level of consistency. And then second is a really defined strategy. So is our, is your, if your brand's, you know, newer to market, the, the strategy on that's going to look different than if it's a, a 10 year old product line that you're really trying to just get more visibility into. So, um, you know, that's what we promote is we're partnering with brands and coming up with those tailored strategies because each brand has, has, has different needs. Um, today in today's world, you know, a tactical piece is really, um, an effective advertising strategy. Amazon specifically is becoming more of a pay to play platform. And if you don't have an effective, uh, advertising strategy, it's very hard to keep your positioning, um, on the, on that platform. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess that's how I would summarize it. Yeah, I, I would agree with much of the sentiment that you mentioned, especially the pay to play comment. Uh, Amazon's now the first place people go to search for a product beating out Google last year. So, all right. Well, great, great insight, Mitchell. It was great to uh, talk with you today and learn a little bit about um, Etels now Caspian. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, really appreciate it. All right. Hopefully all of our listeners uh, hit that subscribe button. If you're interested in coming from the Etels audience, learn more about my Amazon guy, go to myamazonguy.com. If you want to know more about Etels, uh, Mitchell, what's the best place to go? Etels.com or? Yeah, yeah. Etels.com. And uh, that will actually route you to caspian.com. Um, so either one. All right. Well, that sounds good. Thanks again, guys. We'll talk to you guys later. This was the My Amazon Guy podcast with Stephen Pope. Each episode helps you grow your sales on Amazon through ideas on traffic and conversion rate improvements. Hit that subscribe button right now to tune in each week. And if you need more help, go to myamazonguy.com.